0: Do the show you want to do, because in the end, they're going to cancel you anyway. That's not just how to make a show, that's your life. We all get canceled one day. So, do you want
1: to live the life you didn't want to live? You want to live the life you want to live. What is up, you beautiful bastards? It's your boy Margarita, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. Today, I have a super special guest for you, Philip Rosenthal of my favorite Netflix TV show, Someone Feed Phil, and he's the creator of the very popular TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond. I actually met Phil because he was walking the streets during South By, and I just saw him and called him out. I said, hey, Phil. He goes, hey, don't know you. Anywho, I invited him to the office to record this episode for you. This is a fulfilling show you'll listen to. get it, the pun, fulfilling? Anywho, we hear about Philip's entrepreneurial journey in the media and entertainment. Here's three things you're going to learn. Number uno, how he went from a nobody to creating a super popular TV show, and how the hell did he get a Netflix deal? Number two, the importance of turning your vacation into a vocation. It's like a tongue twister, vocation, vocation. How do you turn your fun into actually making money from it? And number three, how to battle with nothingness while waiting for your next great thing. I was really fascinated by his insights on that one. You're going to enjoy those three things plus a bunch more surprises along the way. All right, intro plug, real quick before we get into the episode. Go check out SendFox.com. It's email marketing for content creators. We built it for us. We're giving it to you. It's what I use. It's affordable as hell. And in a year, everyone's going to be using it. Go check it out now, SendFox.com. Affordable email marketing for creators. A special listener shout out. That's like someone just like you. I love your earlobes. This is for Hassan Mushade from the UK. He left an iTunes review saying, Mr. Steal Your Pennies gives you real insights into the world of early entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for the feedback. I really, really appreciate it. If you want to shout in the future, leave an iTunes review and I'll call you out. We're rolling. It's here. Tell the people how this came to be, this podcast today. What was happening was I was desperate to get to work. I was pushing one of the scooters, kick pushing it. Right. I'm like, there's Phil. Hey. And then I think it came up to you and said, I love your show. That's very nice. Yeah. You assaulted me for a photograph. You know, I will say, I'm generally not a selfie guy. I wouldn't normally go up to someone and say selfie, but for I felt compelled with you. I think I should change, Some something about me I should change, because people feel that it's okay to just come up to me
0: on the street and say, can I get a selfie? Is that not okay? No, it's great. okay. Are you kidding? I <laughs> actually like, think you probably have a certain level of fame at the moment, right? A little bit, yeah. So I think your fame, my level of fame, everyone should have, meaning... About once a day, somebody comes over and says they like what you do. Yeah. Right? Isn't that amazing? I think and it's, it's, it's blessed. It, but yeah. everyone should know what that feels like. That's cool. It's not like we're
1: Justin Bieber walking down the street. You can't walk down the street. Yeah. We're at this perfect level of it just puts a bright spot in your day. I was actually wondering that for you because you were behind the scenes with some of this stuff before, oh, in the yeah. past. And then now you're a celebrity. You're an A-list. I'm a minor celebrity, I would
0: say. A Netflix celebrity, which yeah. means... Like 90% of the world, I have a show on Netflix. Okay. (laughs) What's that like now? It's just sweet. You know, I wouldn't get to meet you. And then I meet you. You're very nice. David, my social media director, (laughs) tells me that uh, what you do, you gave him your card, I think, when we met just a few hours ago. Yeah. And he said, you should do his podcast. And And so we checked you out. And it was all good. But the main thing I liked was that you saw my show and that you had a real interest.
1: Oh, I love your because show. Because I
0: get asked to do these things, but I'm not interested
1: if they're not interested. It doesn't make sense to do it. You want to hear a cool story about Please. it? So I'm in Israel. Yes. I'm at a bar. It's on the corner right by the beach. And I'm looking at this bald guy. His name's James Wedmore. Or is it James Whiteley. He was like, He's like, Noah Kagan? And I was like, Yeah, I'm okay. He's like, It's James, yeah, I follow Absuma, I follow Summa. I, I, I was like I'm like, Well, what are you doing at this random bar in Israel? He's like, I'm going to every single restaurant that you went to, the one that you did in Somebody Feed Phil, on their honeymoon. Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv. Isn't he went, that great? How cool is that? He went to every, he's like, yeah, I'm following Somebody Feed Phil, I'm going to all the restaurants. So I get this a lot now. It's, to me, that's the
0: best feeling. First of all, the show is designed to inspire you to travel. That's the whole point of the show. It's not me eating. I'm just using food and hopefully my stupid sense of humor to get your attention. Yeah. But what I want you to do is travel. Oh, And so nothing makes me feel better than when I get an Instagram message or a Twitter that says, we went on vacation to Lisbon because we saw your show and we're going to all your places. Oh, and I have a website. I should tell the people, Tell them philrosenthalworld.com is where we listed every place we went in the show with the address, with the phone number and the website. So you can contact them and you can literally follow our trail.
1: You always seem positive. Like you, what you're, you, you see him on the show is, is you see him in person. I hope. Yeah. You know, listen, you're talking
0: to one of the luckiest people you'll ever talk to in your life, right? So that's honestly how I feel. Very, very lucky. What are some of the luckiest things that have happened in your life? Because you said you're lucky. My whole
1: career. No
0: way. My whole, yes, my whole health, my whole family, everything. You know, my parents are still alive, 93 and 85, right? My children are healthy and happy. My wife is healthy and happy. How many people don't even start with that? So you're already lucky that you're alive. That's real. You're lucky if you have a career that you enjoy. That's quadruple luck. And then to have a show like this is beyond. Just to work, let's say, in show business. Very, very, very lucky. Like I remember when I first got a writing job, for real. I thought it's better than winning the lottery. Because you get to work every day at something you love. And I wish that for everyone listening. That you get to work at what you love with people you love.
1: That's awesome. What was the first writing thing?
0: There was an actor named Robert Mitchum. Did you ever hear of him? Sounds familiar. He was a big actor in the 40s and 50s, and he did film noir, but he was a tough guy. He was like, talk like this. It was a foggy night, and I went out, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. They did a sitcom with him in 1989 when I first moved to Hollywood to be a writer. I had been a comedic actor in New York, and I started writing a little bit in New York. I wrote a play with my friends for ourselves to be in because we couldn't get arrested but that became successful. I wrote a screenplay with another friend of mine. I didn't know anything about writing screenplays, but he said, hey, you're funny. You want to write a screenplay together? So we did, and we sold it. We sold the screenplay in New York to HBO for $70,000. You
1: guys are in your 20s?
0: Yeah. And to me, who had $200 in the bank, I was now a thousandaire. I can now eat whatever I wanted for dinner. And I couldn't believe it. I remember calling my parents and saying, I sold a screenplay. What do you get for something like that? I said, Alan and I are splitting $70,000. And the phone went like dead silent. I said, are you there, Ma? Are you there? She goes, do you know we've worked our whole lives to have $70,000 in the bank? So I know where I come from. I know what other people have. I understand that I'm luck, luck, lucky. So should we just be around you? Yeah. Basically, I should just apply for a job. I'm in my late 50s now. So probably I'm
1: the oldest person you've had on the show. I just had a 75-year-old. You did. I'm sorry. Oh, so I'm the kid. You guys have all the wisdom, man. You guys have all these experience and stories. You guys have all the wisdom. Look, he's lumping me in with the 75. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going
0: to give you the best piece of advice I ever got. Not that you need any. No, I'd love it. But I think your listeners, they probably listen to your show for things like this. And this came from an older man than me. When I was writing the pilot for Everybody Loves Raymond, I said, can you give me any advice? He goes, do the show you want to do. Because in the end, they're going to cancel you anyway. That stuck with me because that's not just how to make a show, that's your life. We all get canceled one day. So do you want to live the life you didn't want to live? You want to live the life you want to live. Mark Twain said, make your vacation your vocation, meaning do what you love. And I'll add one quote of my own, which is something that I have practiced. And I say this when I go around colleges and speak, always quit. <laughs> <laughs> it's such positive messages. It doesn't mean quit because, oh, my tea is cold. How could you give me cold tea? It means you try your best to do the show you want to do. But if you can't do the show you want to do and you've compromised, what else can you do? Ride that train into the brick wall? No, jump off that train, people. Get out of there and pursue the other track that you might have some control over. Would it make sense?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. I for- bet you've done it. Yeah, I'm definitely still going through these things where it's like, what do I really want to be doing and how do I spend my time doing that? It sounds easy to hear. It's hard to do. But it is easy once you commit. It was very difficult in my
0: early 20s having just graduated with a theater degree from Hofstra University and now I live in Manhattan with 50,000 other idiots who are also going for uh, some role in theater that they can play, right? Something. And goddamn if I wasn't thrilled to get up every morning. And have the freedom, feel the freedom to pursue what I wanted. That in and of itself brings you joy. The pursuit of happiness. We must never forget how important that is. Why? Because we
1: all get canceled one day. I was curious in your journey of life so far. Like, what things did you do you didn't want to do, and what times did you? Oh, okay. I so you take? I all did those, do. Yeah. You
0: take all those jobs. I was a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. I worked a graveyard shift from midnight day in the morning. So, like, night at the museum. But the real version of that is. You're all alone in a wing of the museum and you're doing your rounds and you're exhausted. And I did fall asleep on a 300-year-old bed and I got fired. <laughs> oh, because of that? Yeah. They don't like you sleeping or touching the art. Was it comfortable? I don't remember. I just remember walking over in like a stupor. I was on cold medication and I, the whole museum was looking <laughs> for the guard that didn't <laughs> return to his post at 5 a.m. But there's a lesson here too. It was a very low point. It was humiliating to get fired for real. The next day at the Metropolitan Museum of Friggin' Art in New York City, one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world, there was one room shut that day so that it could be inspected. And it was the room I fell asleep in the bed. This is a real thing. It's on the third floor of the American Wing, a little gallery called the Heart Room. It's a little period room from the 1600s that looked like a little house on the prairie thing with a bed and a crib and a fireplace and a low ceiling that I smacked my head on when I got up. You know, I had 15 minutes to kill before I was due back on post. And I just remember in a stupor walking over to this. Cut to me being woken up by a, a big
1: burly <laughs> supervisor. What are you doing? <laughs> what did you learn? You said that was the lowest point. And- yeah,
0: I learned that later when I was trying to be a sitcom writer and you need a spec script, a script you write on speculation for no money that serves as your audition, your sample script. So I had a partner at the time, 1988 or 9. What are we going to write about? Well, there was a show called Roseanne on at the time, and we didn't know what to write about. But I thought, how about this? How about the husband? He works two jobs because he needs the money, and he goes to work at the local museum, and he falls asleep on a 300-year-old bed. And so we wrote that as our script, and we sent it around town, and people were going, what an imagination. So you use what life gives you, you try to find the humor in it, and you try to make what you can out of it. And sure enough, we got an agent from that script and we got hired from that script. But you have to have the life to draw from. A lot of kids I'm seeing today, they don't want to have that first job. They just want, where's my big money, easy life right now? I worked as a bartender. I worked uh, selling farm and implement cleaner and telephone sales on the, uh, that was my first thing out of college. Because you have a theater degree, you're good for nothing, right? (laughs) so i took any job that any unskilled labor person could do i found a very very cheap place to live in a very cheap neighborhood with a roommate and it didn't matter what i did i could as long as i could cover the rent you know we're gonna write our own thing and do it work our regular jobs during the day and then at night go
1: make this show this
0: comedy show that we wanted to do
1: Taking a step back during that period, you have, you're have you Jewish like me and you have Jewish parents. Yeah. They can't be happy. No. Because yeah, I'm like, oh, What's oh. the number
0: one thing the parent says when you major in theater?
1: What are you going to do for a living?
0: Right. You got to have something to fall back on. And I understand that. And I would say that to my kids as well, except what I learned through my own experience was, if you have something to fall back on, chances are you're going to fall back, right? Because that's the prudent and wise thing to do. But sometimes you can't be prudent and wise, you've got to take a big swing. What do you really want to do? you got to go for it. Even though I've had some success, I still want to do what I want. Even if other people don't want me to do that.
1: I have to fight, fight, fight. Sometimes if I've gotten more successful, whatever, internally or externally, you think it's going to get easier, but it doesn't get easier. Just It the fight really becomes, doesn't. Yeah, because I was expecting you to say, I had Everybody Loves Raymond has done yeah. well, my Netflix is done, now yeah. it's easy. I get all the shows. And you were telling me earlier, you're like, yeah, if Netflix, I have to like, see if I want to even do this. I have to fight to stay on Netflix or you're saying something to that effect.
0: Look, after Raymond, you would have thought I'd have another sitcom in a minute, right? Uh, totally, 100%. And there are people who do that. But I didn't want to do just anything just to have it. It had to be good. Well, the thing I wanted to do, nobody else wanted. The next three or four sitcoms, nobody wanted. So you try to sell scripts? Yeah,
1: and no one and ideas. It? No. After you had this mega hit. Well,
0: here's a, to be more specific to my case. In the nine years that Raymond was on the air, the business changed. In that, the show that Raymond was meaning a pretty much a conventional family sitcom, right? What does that mean? Clean, not really suggestive. And if it was, those jokes went over the kids' heads. But during the time of Raymond, other shows, Sex and the City, Friends even, and I'm not disparaging these shows, but the type of shows that they were, were more edgy, hip, and sexy. And so that was what the networks thought they wanted. They wanted to go that way to attract a younger audience. Raymond attracted a very big, broad audience. It's like old-fashioned show business that gets everyone in the tent like The Ed Sullivan Show or something like that, right? Those kind of family sitcoms, they weren't really welcome anymore. And it would be many years before the next one came along, Modern Family. Yeah. But even that's pretty edgy, though. Isn't that a lot more edgy? They put the modern in it. That was their genius. Not conservative. Right. They had family. a gay couple. They had it, right? A sexy Latina mixed marriage. They had things that made it modern. Yeah. So they were able to do that. They were smart. Maybe I wasn't. What were and some of your ideas? It, what were some of my ideas? Yeah. I had a spinoff to Raymond Ready that they didn't want. They said, CBS, the company that I did Raymond for, didn't want the spinoff with the brother's family. You know, it was kind of tried and true because that family had guested on the show for 30 times. It was Georgia Engel and Fred Willard. Monica, who's my wife in real life, was Robert's wife, the brother's wife on the show. And Chris Elliott was the brother. This is a good cast, but I think they didn't want it because everyone was over 40 and they would only give us a pilot. I'm like, a pilot? What do you mean? The pilot, we did it 30 times on Everybody Lives Raymond. There's your pilot, right? It works. They weren't excited. I saw the show that they gave a commitment to that year was a show with all 20-somethings. I understand it. But the truth is, there's only one Friends, really. Friends broke the rule, which was the pretty people were also cute and funny. God, I find, doesn't give with both hands, usually. <laughs> right? If I'm funny, it's probably because I came out looking like this and had to be funny (laughs) to have anyone talk to me. That's just how it is. So I think there was nothing wrong with Friends. The only thing wrong with it were all the shows that imitated it. The building blocks of television have always truly been more like the shows like Everybody Loves Raymond that had this kind of mass appeal that the family could watch together. It's actually what I'm trying to do with the food and travel show. There's nothing hip or edgy about that. It's a very positive, like you said, show. I'm trying to connect to people. And I think the world would be better if we all could
1: experience a tiny bit of someone else's experience. That's what's underneath it. How does someone actually get a show? How does that even happen? So, Did you just write the original pilot for Raymond and then sell it out? The way it works is every writer eventually, as they work their way up the
0: ladder of experience, writing on other people's shows, The goal is to one day have your own show for me it started very simply which is you're looking for talent somebody funny to create a show for so i'm watching the david letterman show and there's a comedian on there and he's very funny we watch and we laugh at this guy i don't even remember his name three months later a video cassette comes to my house and it says ray romano letterman turns out that ray romano had been a stand-up for 12 years trying to get on letterman and it just so happens, the night we were watching, he was on, and I watched every night, to be fair. But I remember seeing him because he made me laugh. So I watched the tape, and as soon as I watched, I said, sure, I'll take that meeting. That's how it works. Comedians are looking for writers to create shows for them, and writers are looking for comedians or comic actors to make shows for. We took a meeting. We hit it off. He's from Queens. I'm from Queens. Every story he had about his crazy Italian family, I had one about my crazy Jewish family. And I went and wrote a pilot. Using some of his stand up bits actually in the pilot to make him comfortable. He never acted before. The parents and everything, you know, kind of come from my world. What I didn't know about his family, I threw in my family. And the pilot worked, especially when we cast these brilliant actors. It was Les Moonves' first year act. He had just taken over as president of CBS, and this was the first year he was programming. And he had shows with big stars that got all the best time slots. And we got a very lousy time slot. But he and the Folks at CBS liked the show enough to give us a shot on Friday nights at 8.30. And then something, about six months in, was doing badly on Monday nights, their more popular night. And because we got good reviews and the three people that watched it on Friday night kept coming back, he said, I'm going to try you there Monday night to see if you do anything. But if you don't do well there, I can't help you anymore. So we were nervous, but we we went on Friday and our ratings had doubled. And then we thought, oh no, next week we can only go down from here. So we're probably dead. And the ratings went up from there. And then we were there for good, for nine years. But, you know, it takes years and years to get there. And then years and years and years and years to get where I am now. What was the life of a writer like? If you're writing a sitcom and you have a writer's room, meaning other writers in the room with you to help you, it's the most fun on earth. You are literally getting paid to laugh every day. Your job is to make each other laugh. Is there pressure? Of course, because you got to make a show every week. But the business is laughing, and then menus come, <laughs> and you can. What are we going to order? Whatever you want, because it's raining money in those rooms, especially in a success. There's nothing they
1: won't do to you for you. Were you trying other shows in that five-year period? You were writing for other shows. Yes. So you tried a bunch of your own to see what you could, if you can get any to sell.
0: Yeah, I think we wrote a pilot or two. But the, Raymond was the first pilot I wrote by myself as a single writer. That was good and bad in certain ways because you're, how am I going to top this? People think you, you know, you'll just do another one and you'll. Be, no, I'm very, very lucky to have had that, and I knew it was special
1: at the time that this doesn't happen a lot, and to want it to happen a lot is even greedy. When you sold it to Les in that first pilot, were you like, "Yo, this is it, something special here"? Did you know when you actually turned in that pilot, or was it like the other ones were like, "Okay, let's see how this one goes"? Listen,
0: you work on something and you have to fall in love with it before. Anyone else can, right? So you do have to think it's special. Now, most of the time, you think it's special and nobody likes it. And then you think everyone in the world except you is an idiot, <laughs> right? Because I, this thing I love, great. I yeah. have to believe in myself so everyone else is wrong. Totally. <laughs> and look at the lesson of The Godfather everyone else was wrong. Listen, no one expected anything of Raymond either. They thought it was this
1: little nice thing that maybe some people on Friday nights would watch. How did you deal, because like you imagine you just, you know, did a super successful show. And then right afterwards, people aren't giving you, you're like, oh, no, no, no I'm, I'm because great. Because the business changed. Yeah. But how did, I guess, how did you deal with that trauma? I didn't and, like it. Yeah. How did you process that? Would you go through? I or went th- through hell. I went through what is happening.
0: I don't understand it. Yeah. Is it me? Am I doing something wrong? And by the way, a lot of it was me. My joke was, my agent tells me I can work anytime I want, as long as it's on something terrible. <laughs> Right? Which isn't far from the truth. There's an opportunity to do shit anytime you want. You know that in your business. Yeah. If you want to do crap, the whole world is out there waiting for you because most things, I'm sorry, most things are terrible. The things that are special wouldn't be special if everything was special. So most things are at a certain level and you're trying always to jump up high. That's harder to get. That's harder to get. But I'm willing to do nothing and go for that. So, doing nothing has its own frustration and its own pain, but the trade-off is putting crap in the world, and I don't want to do that. We all know the actors who you look at them and you go, how could he do that? He was great. What is he doing this shit for? Doesn't he know the difference? Truth is, he probably does know the difference. He just wants to work because sitting at home is torture. I will take the torture of nothing. It's almost like being in solitary, but I'd rather do that, I guess, because otherwise I would do the other. I guess I would rather do that than put my name on something I don't want it to be on. doesn't mean I don't make mistakes and that everything I do is wonderful. It's just what I think that I want to do. There's a certain immaturity to that maybe, but that's just how I'm wired. I respect that you stand for something. I guess you could say integrity, but you could also say stubborn and baby. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of our things that are our greatness are Achilles heels, but it's also like what's got us to where we are and where's going where we're going to go. Everyone is different. If you can live with yourself doing something and
0: divorcing your inner self from it, meaning this job that I'm doing does not define me, it's just something to do so I'm not sitting at home going crazy, I wish I was like that because I'd be busier. I think being busy makes you happy, but I know myself, I wouldn't be happy just being busy. And so what do you do in solitary confinement all day? I pull my hair out, I worry, I look for how I can get the thing I want to happen, and I bother everybody until I make it happen. And sometimes it's years. If you ask me, is somebody feel worth it all the years, 10 years of trying to get that show on? I would say yes, because
1: who gets to do what I do?
0: Very few people.
1: Actually, one thing that was pretty fascinating you got me reflecting on is that when some of you, feel I devoured all your episodes, <laughs> unintended, <laughs> and I think I found it on YouTube or somewhere. You put out previous food shows because right. you enjoyed doing that stuff. So
0: I did a PBS one first, I saw I'll that. Have What Phil's Having, which Netflix yeah. picked up, and you can see that too on Netflix, six yeah. of those. We won the James Beard Award after the first six. When I finally hit that, I had done tiny versions of it that nobody saw, but I understood what not to do from having experimented. So when I hit, I'll have what Phil's having, which is pretty much the same exact show as Somebody Feed Phil. Somebody Feed Phil is shot in 4K, the budget is bigger, and uh, I have a theme song. That's the difference. A <laughs> the theme song. Right? Everything looks beautiful on the show, I say, except for one thing. Yes. <sighs> yeah. But, you look good. Hey. You look good. So by the time those six came out, I knew they were going to be what they should be. And sure enough, the world uh, responded. But it's just as important to learn what not to do as it is what to do.
1: Completely. Yeah. So you said you had to fight a lot for somebody if you'd fill in oh, yeah. a PBS show. Oh yeah. Yeah, like, because
0: nobody th- wanted it. I wanted to go on PBS, to be honest, because I thought I w- that would be a world where I wouldn't need to worry about uh, money and, and they weren't going to worry about money and it would be an artsy, fartsy wonderland of niceness. They have their own problems. They are worried about money because their very existence is threatened all the time, right? PBS. So that had its own difficulties. But I so enjoyed being out there and being free. I thought there were true advantages, advantages that I then found on Netflix, too, because that's also, once you pay your monthly thing, there's no commercials. So I like that. So I'm making a little movie every every time. So we did six for PBS, and then for budget reasons, they couldn't do any more. And it was another year and a half before I could move over to Netflix legally. But then I did, and I did 12 more for them. And now I'm back to square one again, where I don't know if I'm going to continue with Netflix or not. It's up to them. We have interest from other people. I'm now deciding what to do and when is that going to happen? If you see my show, I know that people's, one of their favorite things, if not their favorite part of that show is me Skyping with my parents. So my dad is 93 and my mom is 85. So TikTok people, you know, if you like them, let's go. So that's why I'm frantically trying to get answers from the money people, to continue. I want to keep doing it. Who wouldn't? I love it. Is it not possible to self-fund? Yes, at a lower, obviously a lower budget than what it is. But I need to talk to people smarter than me as to how to get it out there and what to do. Do you just put it on YouTube yourself and wait for advertisers? What would you do? How
1: much does it cost to make an episode,
0: Netflix episodes? It's cheap by any standard of hour-long television shows, especially when you factor in 4K and international <laughs> travel, right? Oh, and it, plus all this there, it's much cheaper than you think it would cost. I'll tell you, it's a fraction of what a network show costs for an hour, which is in the millions of
1: dollars. It's a fraction of that. I guess I don't know how it's like to get a Netflix show. Do they give you the money to make the show or yes. do you have to bring the show to them? In my case, they liked I'll Have What Phil's Having, so much so that they put it on
0: second run on Netflix, right? The repeats on, are on Netflix when PBS couldn't afford it anymore, they said, we'll make it. And the budget went up, but still it's
1: minuscule compared to Stranger Things. I would think they would just buy it right away. Like you had a show, it's popular, you liked it. I'm a little surprised by that on their, their side. And we can talk some strategies about things I'd recommend. Yeah. The other thing that I guess emotionally, I don't know if I could handle it. I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Cause your show comes out and they promote the crap out of it and everyone's watching it. And then they kind of push it back. Well, that's every show. If you're putting out 10 shows a
0: week, how does anything get attention? amazing right yeah so what they do is they program to you you know when you turn on your screen it looks different than mine because of what you've watched before it says trending now or popular now on Netflix that's popular now on Netflix according to what they think you will like everyone is different your wife's profile is different than yours the little thumbnail poster of my show if you're a woman chances are my face is on that poster if you're a man My face is not on that poster. It's grilled meat. What are you fighting for now? What do you want? That's all. More. I'd like to do this till I die. Because I've never had such beautiful, positive reaction from around the world. It's pretty heady stuff to be told that you changed somebody's life, that a 15-year-old girl in Egypt had anorexia, and she's eating because of your show. It's crazy. All of us as human beings, we want our lives to matter to other human beings. So I'm seeing that. I'm seeing it by the thousands. Big, giant corporations don't care about that. I care about that. So I have to fight to keep doing it. And I will self-fund it if need be. I'm just exhausting all the other possibilities before I decide to do that. And that takes time, unfortunately.
1: Talking about, I mean, one of the things you asked me what I would do. Yes, please. I've never been in media or, you know, I do my podcast and blog and things like that. Yes. I think the main thing, and David and I were talking a little bit about it, is like, how do you control the outcome? Because the Netflix thing is that they own the platform that you want to be right. on, and then they have the audience that they put them to. That's right. So you have philrosenthalworld.com. Right. And Rosenthal's R-O-S-E-N-T-H-A-L. Yeah, very good. <sighs> okay. okay. Fourth grade, third place. <laughs> uh, I still have a third grade, you know, third place. You know? Luckily, it, it spells like it sounds. Yeah. I guess the question is, how do you build up your audience? You know, kind of the Louis C.K., I think Kevin Hart's starting to do it more, creating your own distribution of your content so you're not relying on any network.
0: That'd be great. But I don't think I'm popular enough yet to do that.
1: You might be more popular. I just don't know if you have a way of communicating. So our whole company has been created because we've created email marketing for ourselves. Right. So AppSumo.com, which is a, you know, Groupon. Yes. So we have Groupon for software. Right. So people are, are startups and they want software. We email them two to three times a week saying, hey, here's new software. And the beauty of that is that if you create software, we can promote it, kind of like Netflix does. But we have the direct communication to every single one of our customers. Wow. And I think generally what I've noticed from entertainers is that... But I have a guy who can do that. We have a guy here. We right. Have, there's a guy. There's a guy. David's the guy. You got to get a guy. You got to get a guy. And what I always recommend is email marketing because all these other platforms, Instagram, YouTube-ish, Netflix, Facebook, all of them control your communication. Yeah. Email marketing, for now, unless you can call every one of your audience, is the only channel... Instantaneously, you can communicate with all of your audience at scale. Yeah, right. And because I always joke, it's like you know you're you're married. You wouldn't want to have me be your intermediary. Like you want to talk to your wife directly. Well, let's talk about this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No. So the email marketing (laughs) stuff is that you could talk directly to your customers. You don't need permission. You just need the audience, like myself, raising their hand saying like I want more from Phil. Right. What are you guys doing to build your community or create the connection around your audience?
0: We're putting out a bunch of stuff on social media, creating content on our own to put out there. I look for partnerships, I look for tourism boards to, who want us to come and maybe do something with them and do something that would benefit their social media sites and mine, right? That way the brand stays alive at least, while we're waiting for the show to continue. When the show's on, when it first comes out, because Netflix, you get a few weeks maximum of attention, and then obviously there's a tsunami of other content that's going to take over, just yeah. like the
1: news there's a cycle and that becomes old news. Are you guys building up your email list? Maybe a weekly email that's like somebody texts Phil and it's just a weekly email, but like here's the restaurant that I ate at this week and my experience with it.
0: Well, I'm doing that every day on my Instagram and Insta story
1: anyway. You can see oh, where I'm awesome. eating, right? Do people come, Almost like, every day. Do people chase you down? A little bit. That's cool. That's but cool.
0: but uh, it's flattering and listen, I have to eat anyway. And
1: I do really care about where I eat. I feel like, you know, you have a limited number of lunches in your life. Definitely. Make them good. I think for me with Instagram is I still don't control it. And I still eventually will have to pay to be able to communicate with my audience, which I don't want to do. I want to be able to talk to them when I want. So maybe that's something with David directly. I can help you guys. Great. I mean, for free, complimentary. uh, Hmm. No, I I want to promote your show uh, where we help you guys build up your audience so that you can actually, you do it on Instagram and just automatically will go out uh, weekly on your email to that same audience so that you can build up that direct channel. I think what's fascinating about your career and reflection, mm-hmm. at least for me, is that like you've experienced so many shifts in media.
0: Right. That's
1: right. right? And now I do wonder: is there a third or I don't know, eighteenth shift I'm sure that you're there on? Will be something because that we don't even know is coming. That you don't even know is coming. Probably not. Right. Well, hopefully, maybe we can actually create it. But yeah. I, I think to my point is that is that next shift, and I, I'm just hypothesizing. The next shift is that you have your own platform of video content that you are distributing to a million people and saying, "Here's an episode that you get to watch. I'm controlling it." And I control everything about it. Like you are your own Netflix. You're Flix. What's also impressive about yourself, and not just to flatter you, you have stayed relevant. And not just relevancy, you've wanted to keep evolving with how media is shifting.
0: You know, you'd be blind not to want to reach as many people as possible, which Netflix can do. That's cool that you can deliver six cool. shows to a company and they push a button and you're on every country on the earth at the same time. That was what was so seductive about doing a Netflix show. The downside is, is they're doing that a lot. (laughs) So you literally are a drop in the ocean. There's good and bad in every situation. There's a trade-off no matter what. For instance, if you do a, a sitcom for network television, there's commercials, you're at their mercy. There's a certain, you know, there's things you can say, there's things you can't say. There's certain restrictions. Netflix, there's a lot more freedom. But there's a lot more shows. So, how do you get noticed in a world where there's 10 new shows a week? It becomes
1: exponentially hard to break through. Literally, no joke, on Sunday, we were talking about how to do a business show for Netflix. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to do like business something crazy, start a show, how does that actually happen?
0: Well, here's something that hasn't worked yet on Netflix. And that is the current show, the weekly show, the, the show that is topical, because they want all your shows at once. So, you have to do a series that has a story with a beginning, middle end, and have an arc to that series, I think. It's almost like a made-to-order seminar, if you were to do that.
1: I had one angle, which is from McDonald's to millionaire, Mm -hmm. where we find a McDonald's employee, Mm -hmm. and then we try to help him create his own company or her own company.
0: Yes, brilliant. What they would want is for you to film that entire thing, and then they put the whole thing on at once, and you'd watch it like a long movie.
1: Would we self-fund it?
0: That's your choice. You could go in and pitch Pitching is something that everybody does at any network, at any streaming service to get the money up front, to get it done, yeah. which is certainly easier than self-funding. It also gets the network or studio a little emotionally involved because they were in it from the beginning. You're not just handing them something finished and saying, put this on. Yeah. If they're more oh, invested in it emotionally, they may platform it a little better, right?
1: How can you know, my audience and us help you fight now?
0: I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd love Netflix to keep the show going there at the rate that we were producing it for. If suddenly there was a wave of support coming at Netflix for the show, that would probably help it. Okay. But I'm not alone. You listeners are probably, you all have your favorite Netflix show. You don't even think that that show could be coming to an end very soon because they don't care about longevity. They want more, more, more new Series to compete with all the other streaming services that are coming. It's always been that way on the networks, too. If they saw that people love the show, they would keep it on. But if nobody says anything, they think nobody cares.
1: Yeah. Right. I mean, I love your message, though. You got to keep fighting. And that's I'm what you're going to keep
0: fighting. I'm going to do this show. That's just a fact. Because the very bottom line is that I will self fund at least a couple and throw them out there and see if advertisers come. And advertisers will come if people come. I know we have a following. That's not even the point. Yeah. The point is, I got to wade through all the business stuff now, a business that's in big transition with Disney taking over Fox and ABC and all that. You know, that's a factor. There are going to be venues and they are going to need content. That's the one thing. They're all going to need content. So that's going to shake out. It just may take time. So until then, I'm frustrated because I'm waiting. But I'd rather do that than jump onto the next thing that I won't like as much. So I'm keeping my head down. I'm doing the content that I want to do, which is very much of a piece like the show, until the show goes again
1: in some form or another. I'm rooting for you. I can't wait for the next episodes. Thank you. No, it's such a pleasure. This is great. All right. Dude, meeting people on street corners. This is where I should do all my shows.
0: (laughs) There's there's something to be said for just uh, smiling and saying hi on the street. You never know. Yeah. Right? Now we're friends. And now we could maybe do
1: something. I'll work with you on getting the email stuff going.
0: We'll do anything that works.
1: I think that's also part of the challenge sometimes too, because like there's so many different things you could, like I could do YouTube now and I guess there's Instagram. And there's like, yes, a, of course, there's like a lot of different places to be pulled into.
0: Right. It's hard to get the people with the money always to commit
1: to anything. <laughs> right. But yeah. we try. Awesome. That's a wrap. I hope you liked the episode. If you did, go give Phil some big ass love at philrosenthalworld.com. Sign up for his newsletter philrosenthalworld.com. On Netflix, watch him. Somebody feed Phil. And on Twitter or the Instagram world, Phil Rosenthal. Next, tell a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's barbecue together. Uh, before you go, let me know what you think of the episode styles. Uh, email me podcast at okdort.com, with your feedback. I want to know if you like interviews or business case studies, or hearing just more about the sumo.com and AppSumo world. Let me know, send me an email, podcast at okdork.com. Before you go, you know what you gotta do, go check out SendFox.com for sending emails. You know your mother wants you to have better email marketing. SendFox.com. All right, final special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com. I hope he doesn't get hired too much so he stops working on these episodes for you. I appreciate everything he does. Uh, Special thanks again to Sean, who's new, David and Dean on the Dork team for helping put all this Dork stuff together and a special sumo world shout out to Henrique for designing all of our gorgeousness. I'm gonna throw a little outro quote for people who made it to the end here. Never let me slip, because if I slip, then I'm slipping. You guys know who that's from? It's from my brother. Now he, he heard it from Dr. Dre, and what was interesting about this was that my brother said it this weekend uh, while we were traveling, because he's like, that's why I work out on vacation, because I'd never want to slip, because if I slip, then I'm slipping. It's like one of these uh, tests in English. Did you understand what it meant? But for me, this was really powerful. And I love that my brother was saying that. He's like, on vacation, I still work out because I never want to just let go because if I let go, I'm going to keep letting go. And so you always have to stay on. You always have to keep putting on. Never let me slip because if I slip, then I'm slipping. a quote cool for you to be thinking about. What's your favorite Superhero.